Football Doctors Podcast. My name is Marco Lopez. I am a doctor of physical therapy and certified strength conditioning coach. My name is Gabe Ignacio. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Our goal is to empower our listeners with evidence-based information of all things basketball. That includes injuries, recovery, rehab, nutrition, sports performance, and training. We will be interviewing key influencers to help you become a more well-rounded athlete at any skill level. Now we have one question for you. Are Are you you ready ready to ball ball for life? life? Let's get it. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Marco from the Basketball Doctors. Do you know how to squat? Do you know how to change up your squats so your knees won't hurt or your ankles won't hurt? Today, we have Brandon Joyner, head G League strength and conditioning coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's pretty much going to go over the squat 101, tell us why the squat's good for you, how we can modify the squat, and his squat progression. So, hey, Brandon, thanks for coming on, man. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I appreciate you having me on. So, yeah, so like you mentioned, I'm the head G League strength conditioning coach with the Cavs uh, with our G League team, the Canton Charge. Um, so basically what that means is, is during the G League season, which is like the NBA's minor league, I'm with the Canton Charge developing our players down there. During the offseason, I'm up with the Cavs conducting pre-draft workouts, summer league, and, and stuff like that. Perfect. So what got you into basketball? Uh, I mean, basketball has been my favorite sport since I was a little kid. So that's all I really wanted to do, and that's all I really wanted to work with. My resume as a player wasn't good enough probably get a, a head coaching job. So I started looking at other avenues to get in the door. And, and first I was an athletic trainer, so I, I was in the medical side. And then I didn't really like that enough. I switched over to the strength conditioning side, and then that's all she wrote. That's That's been it for the last about 10 years. Damn, nice, nice. I didn't know you were an athletic trainer too. So you kind of have a little bit of both, both sides. Uh, for sure, for sure. So uh, let's just jump into the squat. Why is the squat so important? I know some people say like, hey, don't squat. Other people say squat. What's your, what's your stance on why the squat is very important for us as basketball players? So I, I don't want to say that the squat is like, like everybody has to squat. But, but the thing about the squat to me is, is that it covers more benefits than any other exercise all in one. So it's, it's one of the most efficient ways to train an athlete. You know, one of the things that I always point out is if you look at all the different movement screens that people do, FMS and Fusionetics and ERI and TPI and every other acronym you can throw out there, the deep squat is on the central part of every single one of those screens. It does two main things for me that, that a lot of other things can't replicate. So one, it's one of the only exercises that takes you to the end range of motion in pretty much every joint all the way up and down the chain. And you can do it loaded and you can do it safely loaded. So that's something that like a deadlift can't replicate that. Even a trap bar deadlift, I know everybody loves to substitute trap bar deadlift for squat. And I, I trap bar deadlift guys as well, but it doesn't take you to the same ranges of motion at the ankles, at the knees, at the hips as a squat does. And then the other thing that I think gets left out a lot because people get scared of, of back injuries and stuff like that is axial loading. So loading the spine directly up and down. That scares a lot of people. And so they throw the squat off to the side, but axial loading itself is injury prevention as well because it, it promotes when you, anytime that you load the spine, you start to get the benefits of bones build more. So you release, you know, release osteoblasts. Basically, you make your bones more durable, stronger, 
And then also, it, it also triggers a uh, testosterone release as well. So you're getting more for, more bang for your buck by adding that axial loading. So I, I think that between those two things, like you can't get the same combination of everything from any other one exercise. So you end up having to do two, three, four exercises to substitute for the squat. While my guys, we've squatted and we've moved on and now we can touch on other areas because we've gotten all those benefits. Perfect. I love the part that you mentioned axial loading because I think that's one thing that some people are afraid of, but you actually need some axial loading throughout your programming. You know, that's going to build, like you said, build strong bones and just helps kind of build some core strength as well to kind of respond to that downward um, barbell weight and just gravity in itself and just mimics every movement. Let's talk about, I know you mentioned, you know, you have some squats and there's different variations that people try to go away from, like the hex bar deadlift. Um, what are the different kind of variations in the squat itself? Do you always have to have the bar in the back or what, what are the different variations? Oh, no, definitely not. Um, so for us, the, the primary squats we'll use, we use a lot of goblet squats um, in season just because it's, it's a really, really light squat. It's really, really accessible from a, from a range of motion standpoint. A lot of guys who have tighter ankles, tighter hips, since the goblet squat, the weight's out in front of you, it allows you to have more vertical shins, which means you don't have to use as much range of motion at the ankles. And it's, it's just a really accessible lift for almost anybody. I've, I've never met an athlete that I couldn't get to do a pretty goblet squat. So that's kind of the first tier of our squats. The other thing we use a lot is we do front squat quite a bit. The weight's still in front, but it's not as far in front as the goblet squat. Now it uses a little, it needs a little bit more range of motion and, and a little bit more mobility but it still doesn't use as much as having the bar on the back. So, so we'll use goblet squats, front squats. We use the safety bar a lot. Uh, safety squat bars is a tool that we like. We really love the transformer bar from uh, Kabuki Strength. That's, that's kind of been our catch-all bar. And then uh, back squat. I will overhead squat some guys, usually with like a dowel rod or bands, just toward the end of the season. That's, that's a variation we use just to keep our hip mobility and ankle mobility that we've built up. Um, even when the load's starting to get lighter. Because once again, when you put that, that weight overhead, then it puts you in an even deeper range of motion. So it's, it's more of a mobility exercise. So we, we don't just use the squat for our strength. We use it to gain mobility. And we also use it you know, for, for power and speed as well. We do variations of that as well. Yeah, I like the whole overhead squat with the Dow. I think it's a great mobility tool. I mean, it's like from the I think FMS uses it, but I use it myself just to rule out every mobility deficits. And I really like the, the starting off with the goblet squat. Cause like, I like to start off with any of our athletes that are going through rehab and getting them ready with some goblet squat. Cause you can really teach them the form, get them comfortable and it's good range of motion. Like they could really sink in, get good range of motion there and then progress. And, and honestly, front squats, one of my favorite exercises, but I feel like, thoracic mobility meaning like your upper back a lot of people don't have great upper back mobility so you'll see them kind of hunch over and be like and so we have to kind of work on that thoracic mobility but going off on the squat what's the i know a lot of people a lot of athletes say hey we've seen those safety bars you know the ones that they're, you're grabbing on from the front here why do they do that brandon do you know why people are using the safety squats for the people that just ask around like hey why is that person using that versus you know just a regular bar so you can get a couple of different things from the safety squat. So for one, a back squat or, or even a front squat in, in some senses, you're limited by your shoulder range of motion, you're limited by your thoracic mobility. 
So the back squat can be tough on the shoulders. Um, it can be tough if you don't have a lot of thoracic mobility. Front squat, it can be tough on, like you said, thoracic mobility. It also can be tough on the wrists. Um, and guys hate that. And, and you know, it is some risk reward. We, we don't want a guy to injure his wrist while squatting. Now he can jump out the gym, but he can't shoot anymore because his wrist hurts. So, so the safety squat bar is a good compromise for that. The other thing that I like it for a lot is it kind of is a middle ground mobility wise between that front squat and the back squat because you're you've got it on your back but since the the pad, the pad on the bar leaves the bar higher so mobility is always going to be determined in the squat by by how the bar relates to the middle of your foot because at the end of the day the bar has to travel over the middle of your foot so your body has to adjust its positions to where that bar is traveling so with the safety squat bar since it sits a little bit higher it's a little bit more forward in your center of gravity than a back squat. So now you can have a little bit more open positions at the ankle, a little bit more open positions at the hip. And so now it's a little bit easier to get into a deep position than it is a back squat. So I like it for that. And then the other thing is because of that same thing, because it's a little bit higher and sitting a little bit forward in your gravity, you also get a little, it's, there's more core challenge to it as well. So there's, it's trying to take you over a lot more so now you have to brace a lot more so a lot of times when i'll safety squat guys the first thing that they they say is the next day they come back and their abs are sore not and nothing else so that's another benefit you get from that bar perfect perfect i like that and i like how you mentioned the the bar has to pass uh pass sorry track through the middle part of your foot and that kind of creates that whole tripod stance that we always talk about and being able to create that you know straight line bar pack now that we kind of know the different kinds of loads for this squat, you know, just for the listeners out there, we have that goblet squat, we have the front squat, back squat, safety squat, so on. The next question a lot of people have is, how low do I go? Do I set like a box? Do I go to that box? So, Brandon, how, what do you kind of coach in athletes? Like, how low should I go for the squat? So, that's kind of a complicated question. Um, so, there's, there's some research out there that supports the half squat being great or the quarter squat being great some research out there supports the full squat my biggest thing is you need to be capable of performing a loaded squat to where the crease of your hips comes below the top of your kneecap would be what i would consider a, a full depth squat so you need to be able to be capable of doing it that doesn't mean that that's the squat that you always need to be doing so, but if you can't access that position and you can't access it under load, you're, you're definitely setting yourself up for problems. So with me, my basis when I'm first teaching it is all squats are to that level, unless otherwise stated. Once they get more advanced, we will add in some half squatting and some quarter squatting, stuff like that. But I'm a big believer that you, you need to be able to do it the full squat way before you can even start discussing. Going. So, so what I'll do with a, a lot of the times is when I teach the squat, I always teach it using a box squat. So going to a surface behind them, because a lot of athletes, um, the first mistake they'll make is that their knees unlock forward first before their hips start, start to move. And then everything is traveling through the knee. All the stress is traveling straight through the knee and, and they end up saying my knees hurt and they can't get very low because they run out of range of motion at the ankles. So what I'll do is put a surface behind them because as soon as you tell them to sit back, most people are scared they're going to lose their balance. So we put a surface behind. Usually we'll start with a surface that's a little bit above that parallel position so they can get comfortable sitting back into it and finding that, that path that we want. 
and then we'll just continually lower the surface. So we'll start with whatever squat that they're comfortable with, goblet squat, front squat, back squat, whatever. But we're going to start squatting to a surface doing a box squat style. We will do more of like a touch and go, not like a, like for people familiar with it, not like a west side box squat where there's a full sit and relax. But we'll do it to a surface behind them and then just lower and lower and lower that surface until I get to the point where that surface now puts them right below that parallel line. Okay, that's perfect. No, I like that. So when you're doing that progression, you know, you're going lower and lower, how much weight is in their back? Do they just have a bar or are you actually loading them pretty significantly since they're still not getting to that depth that you want? Because I think I'm huge on how you said, um, I think myself, you need to be capable of being able to do a squat that way. You have to master the fundamentals, which is good movement. And I think good move, once you establish good movement, then you can start going into, like you said, going into this quarter, different kind of, but you, I think everyone should be able to squat because uh, it's like a fundamental movement pattern, hinge, squat, all those movements. But when you're teaching this, are you loading them with heavy weight, lightweight, or is it just with the bar? They get there, they're like, okay, that looks good. We'll start going lower and lower. And then get to that crease point, then you start adding more load. And how do you kind of load this uh, progression? So, so we'll start off uh, fairly light. So we'll start off usually with our goblet squats. It depends. I, I don't really care. The, the goblet squat is really there just to be a counterbalance for them. So a lot of times I'll let them start off with 20, 40. It doesn't matter. Whatever they're comfortable with, that they can perform the movement. Basically, you don't get to graduate in load until you've proven that you can graduate in depth first. So for me, you know, you, you're going to stick to that 20, 30, 40 pounds, whatever it is, until you can hit a full depth squat. And then now we get to crank the load up. So then once we've cranked the load up, usually if we get above 50 or so pounds on a goblet squat, I'm, I'm willing to take a look at your front squat then. So then we move on to the front squat. You know, we'll use the bar until you can get to that depth. We may use a little bit more weight because sometimes it can actually be helpful to add a little bit of weight to, to help push you down and get you into those, into those deeper positions. But generally, we won't increase load until you've, you've shown me proficiency with the movement. So that's, that's generally how we work it. Perfect. But I, love that. I will say one, one piece, though, is that I'll have guys that never get to a back squat during a season. They may, they may get stuck at a front squat. So whatever, whatever movement pattern, whatever variation of squat that you can be proficient in, I'll start loading that. So we may be working toward a back squat and trying to get that back squat cleaned up. And that may still just be the bar, maybe 95 pounds, something really light. But in the meantime, we're training the front squat full out because you've got a really pretty front squat. So now we can go ahead and crank the weight up to the sky on that. But on our other days, we're working toward that back, back squat you know, a lot lighter. Yeah, no, that's huge. And I think you mentioned this off air, but you only have a certain amount of weeks with the guys because they come in right during, I think you said two days before training camp, right? So you don't have too much time to really go into teaching them all this stuff. You got to start loading them pretty quick, right? Uh, yeah, we, yeah, that's a big thing for us. We don't have a lot of teaching time because we're, yeah. we literally have, so the G League draft is about two days before training camp starts. And then our first game after training camp starts is usually like seven days out, nine days out. So, so we don't have a lot of teaching time. You're in season almost immediately. So yeah, like you said, we, we kind of, we got to get what load we can as early as possible. Yeah, I know that's, that's tough. And then another question a lot of people ask, they're like, Hey, do I put like a little, some plates behind my heels? Like, what's that? Like, 
I know a lot of people are using even just like uh, little calf stretchers, anything to kind of lift their heels up. Do you use a lot of that stuff or what's, what's your opinion on that? I think that you use them based on need. So if, if you have an athlete that cannot execute a deep squat, that's one of the first places I'll look is, is we'll throw someone under the heels and see if it looks better. If it looks better than we, we need it under the heels for now. If you have an athlete though that can complete a deep squat and it's pretty, I don't think that you necessarily need to put anything under the heels because we want to maximize we want to maximize the mobility that we gain from the movement because the squats is not just a strength exercise. You're increasing your mobility while you're squatting. So you want to take everything to deep ranges of motion if you can. If you can't, if you can't get good mechanics and your pattern is ugly, then we may need to put that heel lift in. But if you can, absolutely take the heel lift out. Show me what you got because we want to maximize that ankle mobility if we can. Yeah, that's perfect. And like the heel lift uh, for those guys, it's just more for that ankle mobility like Brandon uh, explained. You just put a little heel lift that increases your more plantar flexion. So you're able to go into technically less dorsiflexion and still be able to get lower. Um, another question that we have is for players, you're probably dealing with a lot of players that are like six foot 10, six foot 11, seven feet. But you're also dealing with some players that are 6'1". Is the squat universal for all those players? Or how do you differentiate a squat between those different body types? Because in basketball, there's some crazy body types out there. Definitely. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that some people get so worried about squatting with, with basketball players is because you have those really extreme builds. And so the, the thing is, a lot of squats, like even with short, short, short people, there's a lot of variance in what a squat looks like and what a good squat looks like, but it's, it's not as obvious when the limb lengths are shorter. When limb lengths get long, a weird looking squat looks extremely weird. And so now all of a sudden, you know, a coach might be really, really scared of it because it looks like they're in a horrible position. But um, the biggest thing is, is going back to what I said about the bar path. If you can kind of stop looking at all the background stuff and just look at that bar path. If it's, if it's a straight up and down bar path, more than likely it's a pretty good squat as long as it's a straight up and down bar path and it's full range of motion. But for like someone with really, really long legs, for example, and a really short torso, their squat is going to look so much more bent over than someone who's the opposite. If you got shorter legs and a longer torso, they're going to be able to sit really straight up throughout their squat. And it's going to look, like a textbook squat is going to look like what you saw in all your books. But when you get that person with the short so long legs, it doesn't look like that anymore. It looks almost like a good morning. And you kind of have to be comfortable enough with it as a coach to be able to allow that squat to, to happen, but also know the difference between that and when they're actually too bent over. So sometimes I think video review can be helpful with that and looking at it on you know something like a coach's eye or something like that where you can draw the line track where the bar is going and stuff like that that can be helpful to make people more comfortable with that um but yeah there's definitely some very different ones generally your really long long-legged guys are going to probably need that heel lift just because they're going to have so much more tibia movement than your short leg guys it's going to have they're going to have to have more ankle mobility so unless they got crazy mobility they probably do need the heel lift just to help them get in a, in a better position Short, short-legged people are easy. Like your long torso guys, like like Zion Williamson would be so easy to coach in a squat just because he's got a, a beautiful squat body. Carson Edwards is another one that's like 
every time I see him, I'm like, man, I wish I could, like, I used to coach powerlifting. I'm like, man, I wish I could have coached him as a powerlifter because he would have been a, a freak. But, uh, you know, you're, you're really, your opposite guys, you know, like, like Giannis would be horrible to coach in a squad. And that's, I think that's one reason that you see, like, a lot of videos of him hip thrusting because that's probably something he's way more comfortable with. But, yeah, so the different body types, the squat's going to look so much different. And, and for me, one thing that I will do is, is with my guys that are really not built to squat, that are built really poorly for the squat, a lot of our squats with them will do more speed squats and lighter loaded squats. And then if I want to get some heavy load, those guys will trap bar deadlift versus my other guys that are built better to squat are heavy loaded movement squat. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, no, Zion would have made you millions in the powerlifting competition. That guy would have oh, yeah. <laughs> the perfect coach for him. That guy's a beast, man. In regards to the squat, we're, you know, now we're talking about different body types, different everything. But the entire time, like you said, Brian, you're still working on that mobility, right? Per se, like we're still working on that ankle mobility. Like you said, we're trying to get to that perfect squat because I think some people get caught up like they're always going to use those heel lifts. But um, I think the goal is to eventually get off of that completely. What do you say? Is that correct? Or? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, most of my guys, so, so when we have our, our training, a lot of what we'll do is, is during our warm-up or during our, our pre-lift or pre-practice stuff, what we generally give them is, is three exercises, three corrective exercises that they do daily to address whatever they're the worst at. So a lot of that, so with my guys that are on the heel lifts, they're going to be doing some kind of ankle mobility daily. They're going to be doing some kind of hip mobility daily to help address those issues. And then our goal is over the course of the season, we do want to get to where at minimum they can give me a goblet squat without a heel lift that's pretty. That's that's kind of the goal that we establish for our guys that are just the worst squat bodies. But what I always say is, is if you talk to like like any physios or any athletic trainers or anybody in the medical community about what they deal with most with basketball players, they say everybody says tight hips, tight ankles. And that's two of the first things that they that every single one will say so really those are usually the same two things holding you back in a squat so even if you don't know anything about basketball and you're terrible at training basketball players if you just can train somebody to make them squat well you're already checking a lot of the boxes that are needed for basketball anyway so so yeah we've, we're constantly addressing those issues yeah no that's huge hips ankles upper back and i think like you said I think some people get caught up like, hey, that's how I'm always going to squat. I'm always going to squat with, squat with heel lifts. But no, your goal is to squat, you know, without the heel lifts and maximize your mobility. And like you said, you made some great points on the, the squats a great mobility because it's like an eccentric kind of stretch in a way. You know, you're stretching those joints in a good way where you're loading those stretches and making them comfortable. I have a question. In regards to the squat, I know you have a powerlifting background. How do you teach them how to squat in regards to shoes wise? Do you have them regular basketball shoes, barefoot, platform shoes? Like, how do you right now in, with the Canton Charge, how do you squat them? So, we squat, we squat in our regular shoes. Um, I don't think that that's ideal. In a perfect world, we probably would have them, you know, maybe some, some low platform shoes. We wouldn't want anything with like a really aggressive lift because, like I said, we, we want that ankle mobility exactly. or maybe even. You know, in a super perfect world, we'd have like some high platform shoes and some chucks for them to squat in. So, that, <laughs> yeah. but I know that's not gonna, you know, that's not happening 
and and a lot of times you know in, in our environment even if we even if we're talking about with the Cavs guys where our budget is bigger I still don't think we would have that because a lot of the times you're getting guys either going straight from the lift to the court or coming from the court to the lift or a lot of what we do we do a lot of contrast training so I'm not going to have my guy going straight from a squat to some plyometric variation in yeah. in Olympic shoes like I'm, yeah. I'm going to have them in basketball shoes so I'd rather sacrifice the squat a little because because at the end of the day like when you come in and you look at it from the perspective of powerlifting the weights that these guys lift even the most impressive guys it's not that much so it's not like we don't have to maximize our equipment for the squat because they're not maximizing their squat anyway like we're just trying to keep getting a little bit better versus my powerlifters. Absolutely. They have to have the perfect equipment because they're, you know, on that razor's edge of a squat that could hurt them. So that, that's how we squat with that. That's perfect. I mean, like you said, the powerlifter, their goal is to put as much weight as we can, as you can. And then basketball players, not so much. And I liked how you mentioned, because I kind of mess around too. Sometimes it depends what the lift is, but if they're doing another lift right after, you need to have them in the shoes that they're going to move into. And if you do some contrast training where you're going into some plyometrics or jumping, kind of don't want them barefoot or, you know, with chucks, that'll be kind of tough. Yeah. Um, so talking about, you know, moving into more of the squat, like the loading too, where does the squat fit in the grand scheme of things? Like, let's say we're going into a program. Is the squat the first exercise or the last exercise or the middle exercise you give these uh, your athletes? Or do you have them go through some like running drills before? Kind of walk me through your uh, programming of the squat in an athlete's training block. So we, I mean, the squat would be like a, a main exercise for us. So it would be an exercise that they're going to see often. Um, it's, it's not, we're generally, we'll rotate through variations about every three weeks. If, if someone has a bigger library of movements they can do, we'll rotate through variations. If not, then they'll stay with one. So about every three weeks we'll rotate through variations, but the squat will always be in there versus like some other movements we won't always do, but the squat is, is pretty central. Um, generally like a training session that includes it, we would start off, we would do their correctives. we do some kind of activation. We use a lot of, we use a lot of PRI, a lot of breathing exercises and stuff like that. So they would do some glute activation. They'd probably do some groin activation, hamstring activation, and maybe, maybe some, some abdominal core activation. And then we would generally go from that kind of depends on, on what we're doing. If it's before practice or after practice, if it's before practice, they would probably come in and, and do some really easy variation of a squat. So they'd come in and goblet squat for just a couple sets as part of their activation. And then we go into a plyometric. So we'll usually put our plyos early in the workout and then come from plyos into the squat. The exception to that is when we do our contrast work, they'll go straight into the squat because the plyo is going to be paired with it anyway. And then after the squat, they'll go into the rest of their workout. So we'll do generally most squat days are going to include some kind of upper back workout, it's going to include some hamstring work, some glute work, maybe some quad or some, some patellar tendon type stuff. And then we also do a lot of Achilles work. So, so we'll do some kind of targeted calf, gastroc, soleus, Achilles type stuff. Perfect. And then how about reps and sets and time under tension? Can you walk me through like how many reps and sets? I know it kind of depends on the goal, but for the squat, what do you generally recommend? Um, generally, we don't go much higher than eight reps, and that would be like a really high rep early in the season work capacity day. Most days, though, we really won't go above five reps. 
is once we get in season, we keep the reps pretty low. We do keep the intensities fairly high. So we'd go like, like a three week wave would be something like five, like four by five, first week, four by three, second week, four by two, the, the third week. And then we'd probably come back and have like a three by three, two, and maybe hit some singles depending on, on what the schedule is looking like. And then, you know, weight wise, we're looking at, we, we don't really one rep max these guys a lot. We do a lot of our stuff uh, off of velocity-based training or, or estimated maxes. But to put a percentage on it, like we would probably stay up from 75% and up. And then we'll generally, we won't go much more high, higher than about 90 or 95% of those doubles and singles. And that's 90, 95% of what their initial thought, max, you know, estimated max was which is really probably more like 85, 90% of where they are by the time we get there. Um, so it's, we stay a little bit conservative on the weights. Like the biggest thing is, is we, since we're in season all the time, basically, we don't want to, we don't want to do kind of a balls to the wall double because there's too much risk involved, but we do want to go heavy. So, so basically we would do like for three, if a guy could do, 85 to 90%, we're going to stay in the 80 to 85% because we want to just flirt with it's heavy, it's challenging, it's tough, but we don't want to get into that range of risk where we're going right at the edge. So, um, so generally five and below. And then when we do our speed work, we generally stay with threes, threes and twos. So our speed work is like threes and twos. We, we will use a lot of combination resistance. So we do a lot of bands and stuff like that. And so if we're not talking velocity based, if we're talking weight based, we're generally talking somewhere around 50% in bar weight plus 25% in band tension would be our percentages for our speed work. So that, that's how we generally use those two. Perfect. And the sk- speed work that he's referring to are those bands that you put on the side of the, the squat. Pretty cool. I know probably a lot of people have been using that and it's, it accommodates the resistance. So as you go up, you're going to have more resistance. So <laughs> when you're going down, not so much, but as you go up, you're going to feel some resistance. Um, another question I have, how about any advice for anyone going through the off season right now? How do they program their squat right now? Are they going still kind of low strength or do you have them go a little bit higher reps? What's your advice for any athlete out there going to start doing some squat training this off season? Um, I think you can crank the reps up a lot more in the off season. You, you don't really generally more reps is more sore and so you you don't get any opportunities in season where you can be more sore so in the off season this is your one chance to get that so we would still we still touch on a lot of strength but early in the off season i give my guys maybe some eights and tens and twelves early early on in the off season probably only like the first four to six weeks and then we start bringing it back down into those eights and fives and threes and twos and, and hang out there most of the season because at the end of the day most most of my guys need to get stronger there's there's not a ton of like there's a few guys here and there that the you know the scouting report on them is they need to gain 10 pounds they need to gain 15 pounds but most of these guys by the time they get here they're they're at a comfortable body weight their their mass is where it, it generally should be but a lot of especially the difference between a lot of your g league guys and then your nba guys is there's that one percent difference in athleticism so we're trying to get those guys stronger more powerful so that they're ready for that next level so we still things fairly heavy you know we train heavy for about three weeks and then you'll get one week that's higher rep 
just to take some load off, but it's still tough. And then we come back right into the heavy stuff again. So that, that would be our rep scheme during the off season. Perfect. And just to finish off the, the squat tutorial, what's your three things of advice for anyone that's trying to get into back into the squat this off season? What are three things for any athlete listening there that you tell them should focus on to get back into that squat or to squat this off season? The box squat gets a bad rap because people somewhere along the line, somebody said their basketball players, not powerlifters. And it's viewed as a powerlifting exercise, but it's the most accessible squat for anybody because of the fact that you can, you can basically make your shins as vertical as you want to. You just sit back further. So the box squat is a great starting place, whether you're doing it with dumbbells, kettlebells, goblet squat, front squat, back squat, it doesn't matter. Putting that surface behind you is, is the easiest place to start. And then number two is, is if you can start the movement by sitting back before you bend your knees, especially for a lot of these really, really tall guys, you've, you've already won the battle. It becomes so much easier to squat deep. So that, that's another one. And then the third one that I kind of didn't say anything about earlier is, is one of the big things is opening the hips is, is a big helper, for especially for my super, super tall guys. So instead of thinking everybody talks about knees in, knees out, you don't want your knees to collapse, all that stuff. The, the cue that I've found helps a lot more is, is thinking about twisting your knees out or twisting your feet in the ground without moving. Your feet still stay where they are, but twist into the ground like you're screwing into the ground, and that'll open up your hips and then sit back, and you'll find that, oh, my goodness, I have way more mobility than I ever thought I did because your hips are now open. So that would be my third one is if you're just learning the squat and trying to get – if you can sit back to something, twist your knees out, and then keep your chest up as much as possible. Generally, the rest of it will kind of start to fall into place. But yeah, I was actually going to follow up with that. Do you have any other cues you use? Because I like that opening of the hip. I like that whole mechanism because you're you know causing that little external rotation. Because some people think about keeping their knees out, they actually push their knees out too far, and they're out yeah. of the, you know fifth toe. It's like no, nah, we don't want to go that extreme. We just want to kind of keep it tracking. Is there any other? coaching cues i know you mentioned chest up i really like that because that keeps that thoracic extension is there anything that you found helpful with your athletes basketball athletes in general for the squat coaching cues? So the main ones the main ones i do is sit back and twist out um but the other one that that i notice a lot is is a lot of athletes have been told to stay on their heels and it completely screws up everything so i tell them to feel the whole outside of your foot so you, you want to feel from heel all the way up to pink toe. You should feel all the way evenly distributed in your foot. So I tell them, feel the outside of your foot versus feel your heels. So that, that would be another one that, that helps. And generally, if you take care of, of what's happening at the hips, knees, and ankles, the rest of it kind of takes care of itself. You don't really see a lot of people, if they got all that right, you don't see a lot of people fold over because there's no reason to anymore. So generally, those are my three is, is sit back, twist out, feel your feet, and then the rest of it kind of takes care of itself most of the time. Perfect. I love the, the outside part of the foot. I'm going to try that out myself. But a lot of people have been told stay on your heels, but stay on your heels, gravity is going to be – your center mass is behind you, and that's just going to set you up for bad uh, bad bar path and everything. Yeah, uh, definitely. So to kind of end the podcast, I would say – What's your favorite basketball memory or a fun fact about yourself? I'll give you the option of any of those two questions. Uh, favorite basketball memory is definitely uh, 
So me and my, my friend, Andrew Suggs, so we grew up in, in the Atlanta area. And so back in, back when we were coming up, you had, uh, had run and shoot. So run and shoot was 24 hours, seven days a week. It was like six or seven basketball courts. And it was the spot like, and one, every time they would come into town and one would go to run and shoot yeah. all your NBA guys, they would go to run and shoot in the off season. And it was just like the runs there were nuts. So run and shoot, we would go up there during the summer when we got out of school and it was $5 for a day pass. And so we'd pay our $5. We'd bring a bag with, with everything in it, like, like a full sleeper bag. And so we'd pay our $5. We'd go up on like Monday and then we'd go and we'd hoop in the mornings. The construction crew would come in at like 6 a.m. So we'd hoop with the construction crew and then we'd go and we'd go to the locker room and go in our bags and pull out our snacks eat our snacks, and then at lunchtime, everybody would get off work, and we hoop again with the lunch crew, and we'd go back to the locker room, you know, we'd do our thing, we'd put up some shots, so we'd do some drills, and then after work is when all the real runs would come, so then the real runs would go, and then when those got over at like 9 p.m., we'd go back to the locker room, and we'd just go to sleep in the locker room, and we'd wake up at 6 a.m. the next morning and do it again, and so for $5, we'd stay there for like a week straight, and, and just all day long, and so that, that was... Those were those were the days. Those are probably my yeah, favorite basketball. That's awesome. You never got kicked out or what? <laughs> nah, like the, the front desk workers were, were real cool. And we were just kids, you know, you're, we're yeah. like 15, 16 years old. So so they didn't care about us. Like they would let us leave. There's a McDonald's in the parking lot. They'd let us go and get our McDonald's and come Dang. back and stuff. Yeah, those those were the good days. Now it's like a laser tag arena and stuff. It's terrible now. Oh, terrible. <laughs> damn yeah and for those i remember and one mixtape i mean hopefully everyone knows about him you know like the whole professor bone collector rest in peace oh, yeah. escalade um yeah those are the days man they don't do that and one mixtape tower anymore right or does it now you had now you had and one mixtape and then uh so they broke off i guess there was like a management issue or something they oh, broke off and made their own tour and it only lasted for like one year and then and then it died out Damn. Yeah. Those, those, yeah. Those were like my prime days. Like I wanted, I wanted to be on M one more than I wanted to be in the NBA at that time. <laughs> no, that's, probably why, that's probably why my coach pulled me from the game all the time. But. <laughs> Damn. But um, no, that was great. That, no, that was that was good. But the but Brandon, thanks for coming on. That was great advice on the squad. It was like a squat one on one tutorial, and especially your basketball players, because it's a little different. And people, you know, it's great. You have to manage the risk and the reward, like you mentioned before. Um, you know, squatting too heavy during the season, you know, kind of managing that risk reward. So where can people find you if they want have any questions or they want to reach out to you, learn from you? Can you give us some of your contact information? Um the best place to contact me, Instagram, I'm I'm generally pretty decent about uh getting back to people. So uh, it's uh, at Coach B133, and uh, that's that's probably the best way to get in contact with me. My email gets cluttered, so I wouldn't recommend that one. But I'm I'm pretty good about getting getting back with people on Instagram. Perfect. We'll include his Instagram information in the media notes. Thank you guys again for listening and following us. We hope you learned something from our discussion today regarding the squat. And Brandon just kind of broke it down on how you should progress it, regress it, and how you should use it in your training block. So we love to continue bringing information regarding all things basketball to a mass audience. So please rate us, subscribe, comment, and tell your friends. Let's ball for life. Hey, Brandon, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me.